0: It's so good to see each one of you and and just to be together in God's house. What a blessing it is. I do want to say a big happy birthday to Brother Beatles, one of our elders. He turned 99 years old yesterday, which is just incredible. And so we want to say happy birthday to Brother Beatles. We love you. You're awesome. He's not here with us, but he's watching online. And 99, I mean... That's like, that's pretty impressive, I, I gotta say. Uh, he's been a part of, Brother Beatles and Sister Beatles have been a part of our church for like something like 75 years or something, and uh, they're just incredible. Uh, also today is one of our, uh, another one of our elders' birthday, and that's Armand Bazadua. So we want to say happy birthday to you. We love you. And uh, I didn't put your picture on the screen. When you turn 99... We'll, we'll get your picture up there. Uh, but it's so good to be with each one of you uh, today and just believe in God and, and just thankful for how God is working in each one of our lives. You know, this year, I was thinking about this during worship, this year's not, not typical. It's atypical. It's a little bit out of the norm, some things that we're doing in 2020, but we're still here. We're still worshiping God. We're still alive. God's got his hand on us. He's taking care of us. That's something worth celebrating. Amen. And so, you know, I think it's pretty cool uh, that, you know, God, God is good. Even when things are wacky, God is still good. We need to remind ourselves of that all the time, that God is still good. And uh, I love, love those songs that we sang this morning. Just really stirred me up and built my faith. So I hope they did for you as well. Acts chapter 16, if you will, open your Bibles there. That's where we're going to be today. Acts chapter 16, where we've been the last couple weeks in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul's gone on a, on a mission trip. He's gone on a journey. He's left his home base of, of Antioch, and he's gone to, to encourage the churches that he had planted on his first missionary journey. On his first missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul traveled around, preached the gospel, planted churches. And some several years later, God had put it on Paul's heart to return to the brothers and the sisters and to strengthen them, to worship with them, to instruct them, to teach them, to see how they're doing and to build up them in their faith. Well, this missionary journey, the second trip, it started kind of on rocky soil. It started with an argument with Paul and Barnabas having a a big fight over who was going to go on the trip. And they couldn't come to an agreement, and so they split apart. They drew a line in the sand, and one went this way, and the other went that way. Barnabas, who really was instrumental, used by God to, to bring Paul into the ministry. And they have this sharp division. They have this sharp split. Later on, much later on, we see that they're reconciled together. But this, this trip, it, it, it doesn't start so well after they, they started going, Paul took another man, uh, Silas, along with him, and they, they visited the, the churches. and in, in, uh, in one of the churches, they found a young man named Timothy, and he showed a lot of promise. He, he, he seemed like someone that Paul could invest in. And so Timothy joins the trip. and then later on, Luke joins the trip. And so it's Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and they're traveling around desiring to preach the gospel. So they're leaving the, the churches behind that they started on their first trip, and they want to now take the gospel to people who have never heard the gospel before. How many of you know that the gospel, it's necessary for people to hear the gospel? Amen. And so they have this deep desire, and, and it comes, of course, from the Lord who proclaimed, you know, and commissioned them to go, us His people, to go and to take the gospel. Well, they had come from the east, and, and so... Paul desires to go north, and, and last week we saw the Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go north. That's not the way I want you to go. So he did, then, okay, well, I've come from the east. I desire to go north. He, he tries to go south. The Holy Spirit forbids him to go south. Well, so they press on west, and eventually they hit the shore. They hit, they hit the sea. They can't go any further west. Well, they can't go east. That's where they come from. The Holy Spirit said he can't go north. The Holy Spirit says they can't go south, and they've gone as far west as they can go. They're, you know, in the ocean at this point. And so I know know that God had told his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, but I don't think that included the fish. And so Paul is, you know, God, where do you want me to go? And while he's there waiting on the Lord, closed doors, closed doors, He has this vision. God gives him this dream. A man from Macedonia, which is further west into Europe, saying, please come and help us. Please come and preach the gospel to us. And so they jump on a ship. They persevere. They don't let the discouragement of closed doors stop them. And they move forward into this region called Philippi. That's where we're going to pick the story up today. We're going to look at this uh, story today and also uh, further on into next week, of their ministry, their church planting efforts in Philippi. And so I want to start in verse 11 today. It says So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, She urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. And they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or to practice. These are false charges that they're bringing against them. The crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them, stripped them naked, and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And that's where we're going to leave off this week. We'll pick up the story next week with Paul and Silas in jail. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, your word is a lamp to our feet. It is a light unto our path. It helps us on the way that we should go. Lord, we desire as your people to live for you, to be faithful to the calling of God on each one of our lives. Lord, you've called us to be salt. You've called us to be light. It's not an accident that we're alive in this day and in this time and in this age and in this season. In fact, it's part of your divine decree. It's part of your sovereign plan. So, Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, you are the helper. Help us to live and to do and to say the things we ought to do and say in this time. Lord, guard our hearts, guard our minds, guard our spirits, guard our eyes, guard our ears, guard our souls. Lord, from all of the things, all of the pollutants, all of the garbage that's just being forced through the media and every other outlet, God, help us to live faithfully for you. Lord, when we Pass from this life until the next, when we open our eyes and we see your face, we only want to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to live with that reality each and every single day, realizing that this is temporary, but we're heading to somewhere that is eternal. Let us keep our focus on the hope that we have in Christ Jesus as everything else passes away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 16, this story, as Paul goes into Europe, I find it very uh, significant that the first people that Paul preaches to, the first converts to Christianity in Europe, are not men, but are women. It's these two women, this slave girl and this businesswoman named Lydia. Now, sometimes, wrongfully, the Apostle Paul is condemned as being someone who is anti-women or a male chauvinist. I was taught that, not at Bible school, but at secular college. It's something that my professors taught me, that Paul was anti-women, that he was a, a, a chauvinist, that he was not a feminist like Jesus was. Anyway, that's what I was taught at secular college, getting a media degree. Why was, why? was I'm already on a rabbit trail this morning, but... I find it interesting. I'm, I'm there studying communications. I'm there studying media. And in every single class I go to, the Bible's being attacked. Jesus is being attacked. The Apostle Paul is being attacked. And I'm like, what does this have to do with like computer graphics? I, I don't know. And anyway, okay, back, back here. Paul is not anti women, Paul is not a male, a male chauvinist. And and what we see happening here in Philippi shows us that clearly. Because in Philippi, the, the reason why he doesn't first go to a synagogue, normally Paul norm, usually goes to a synagogue and that's his first stop in any new city. The reason why is the Jewish people, they had the Old Testament scriptures. And Paul could go in as a Pharisee, as a Pharisee who was trained under the most uh, famous teacher of his day, Gamaliel, he could go in with his credentials as a teacher, as a rabbi, and he could get a hearing in any synagogue. He had big credentials. He he was a big deal within Judaism. And so he would go into a town. He would say, hi, I'm, I'm Paul. And this was my teacher. Here are my credentials. And they would say, please open the scriptures. Please teach us. And so what he would do is he would point them to Isaiah chapter 53 and he'd say, you know how we're waiting for the Messiah? Let me show you how the Messiah suffered for our sins. He would go to the, the, uh, the Psalms and he would show, let me show you how it promised that the Messiah, the Savior, that he would raise again from the dead. And he would go and he would say, we know who our Savior is. His name is Jesus. He's Jesus of Nazareth. He lived without sin. He died to pay the price for our sin. He rose again. The third day, the offerings, the sacrifices, the the temple, it was all pointing to Jesus Christ. And now we as his people, we are the temple of God filled with his spirit. And so he would go in there and he would preach the gospel to them from the scriptures. And many would believe and, and would be converted and would be born again to Jesus Christ. This was his strategy. But when he gets to Philippi, there's no synagogue The reason why is because there was a very small Jewish population in Philippi. To have a synagogue, you needed at least 10 men who were Jews, who were heads of household that could form a synagogue. And so where there is no synagogue, the people would go out, those who followed the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the, the, the creator God, they would go and find a place by a river, by the sea, outdoors where they could worship God and they could. Learn the scriptures together. So Paul knows this. There's no synagogue. So he goes to this place where he can find people who worship God. The people that he finds are women. Now, in that day and age, I just have to tell you that um, the Pharisees did not view women in high esteem. And Paul had been trained as a Pharisee. And no Pharisee would have stopped to talk to these women but Paul does. Because when Paul was saved by Jesus Christ, he was transformed. He was transformed. He, he left behind all of the religiosity and the false teaching that he had received uh, through this pharisaical way of life. In fact, one of the, the prayers that a Pharisee would typically pray every day is, I thank God that I was not born as a Gentile, as a slave, or as a woman. That is what they would pray over breakfast every morning. What a lovely religion they had going there. But I want to show you that's not Paul. He's very eager and happy and willing to sit down with these women and share the gospel with them. It reminds me of the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus approaches the woman who's at the well. And how shocked she is. You, you would speak to me, you know, because Jesus says, would you get me a drink of water? And she says to Jesus, "You, you're talking to me, a woman of Samaria. How is it that you, a Jewish man, would speak to me, a woman of Samaria?" And listen, the deal is, the gospel's for the whole world. The whole world needs Jesus. The whole, everybody needs Jesus. And so, filled with the love of God, the Apostle Paul reaches out with the gospel. And what we will see as we continue through the book of Acts, as you read the New Testament, you see that women have a significant role in Jesus' ministry, in his earthly ministry, and that they have a significant role in the life of the early church, that God has a part for everyone to play, regardless of race or culture or language or education or gender. There is a place for you in the church and in the kingdom of God. Amen. So, the first woman that he approaches, well, he, he approaches the, this whole group of women, but it says in verse 20, or verse 14 that one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. I want to unpack quickly for you uh, her resume from the city of, of Thyatira. This was a, a, a large city, a wealthy city. It was a metropolitan place. Think New York City, think Miami. Uh, you know all the places that are on fire right now. Uh, but you, you know the, the the big sort of centers of culture, centers of industry, uh, these kinds of places, Los Angeles, etc., etc. That was what Thyatira was like. She's a businesswoman. She's well-to-do. She she has means. Later when we read in uh, the end of the chapter, after she's come to Christ, her whole family's come to Christ, Paul and his missionary team have been living at her house in the city of Philippi, her home becomes the church. It becomes the place where God's people gather. I should say the, the building where God's people gather. We see that the the church has assembled in her home. So she had to at least have a home that was large enough to accommodate several dozens of people. This is a large home. And to have something like this in that day meant she was very wealthy. Also, she's a seller of purple goods. Purple was very, very hard to come by. The dye used to produce uh, purple was from this very obscure plant. Or this very obscure fish that you could get the dye from. And so it was extremely rare and extremely costly. And so purple became known as the, um, the symbol of wealth in that day. It would be kind of like if someone decked themselves out in all of like Louis Vuitton gear. I don't know what that is, but I googled it so I could have some kind of like, you know, cultural reference. But apparently it's some sort of bags or shoes or something that's like very expensive. High markup, you know. And so people buy that stuff to show off. Or maybe it's very high quality. I don't know. But I know nothing, absolutely nothing about it. But it would be kind of like that. And so rich people wore purple. And she, she sells purple goods. It's, it's a high, high markup industry. She's in the fashion industry. She produces, you know, clothes and whatever, just stuff, all the stuff that I'm totally not interested in. That's what she's into. Okay. And she's very successful at it. Very successful. And so Paul speaks to her and it tells us that she is a worshiper of God. What this means is that she is a Gentile. She's not a Jew, but that she has been drawn to by God, she's been drawn to God. She's been drawn to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Creator God. That she's been drawn to come and to hear and to to worship God. Though she's not a Jew, though she is a Gentile, that God is working and drawing her. And finally, it tells us that as Paul shares the gospel with her, as he ministers to, to these women, it's specifically this woman, Lydia, that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. This is a very important phraseology that Luke is using here. And I'm going I'm to drill down on this for a minute because it's so, so important that you understand this. If you are a Christian today, you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, the reason you are a Christian today is because God has opened your heart. Salvation is a work of the Spirit of God. Jesus tells Nicodemus this in in John chapter 3. Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. This is confusing to Nicodemus because he says, how can I crawl back into my mother's womb? I I don't think that'll work. Jesus says you must be born of natural birth and you must be reborn through spiritual birth. And he says it is the Holy Spirit that produces the new birth in our lives. In John's Gospel, John chapter 1, in the prologue, It says that Jesus came to His own people. He came first to the Jewish people. But we know the story that they rejected Him as their Messiah. They put Him on the cross. They did not believe upon Christ. But He goes on to say that all who believe on Him, who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. If you are a Christian today, it's because you have been born again. You have been what theologians call regenerated, passing from death, spiritual death to spiritual life. And it is a move of God. It is a work of the spirit in your life. Jesus put it this way in John chapter six. He says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me Draws him. Later in in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will go to Peter and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter, with his bold profession of faith, he declares, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. What does Jesus answer to Peter? He says, Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, it's because the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to this truth. It's because the Holy Spirit has opened your ears. It's because like Lydia, the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to the gospel. You see, we are born in sin And we have chosen to rebel against God in sin. And sin, the wages of sin, is death. And so every human being is born spiritually dead. But it is the Holy Spirit who makes us alive. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, Even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's unmerited favor. It's nothing that we deserve. There's nothing good in us that would deserve salvation. By grace you have been saved. Through faith we receive his salvation as a response, as we respond to the saving work of Christ in faith. By grace you have been saved. Through faith this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. You see, there's nothing for me to boast in as a Christian except in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I can boast in. I can't boast, you know, I'm so great because I'm a Christian and, and I, I don't know why everybody else is so dumb. No, that, that, that option is not there for you. It has been removed. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. Jesus said that we have not chosen him, but that he has chosen us. You need to understand this. Because if you don't understand this, if you think that somehow you chose Christ because of your intellect, or you're so smart and wise, and, and, or, or, or that you're so wonderful that, that that's why God saved you, you're going to go to a really dark place. You're going to be filled with pride. You're going to be filled with arrogance. You're going to become self-righteous. You're going to be the kind of person that turns people away from Jesus Christ. You're not going to pray for people. You're not going to love people. You're certainly not going to serve people, especially people who aren't like you, especially those sinners out there. You're going to become like that Pharisee who was praying at the temple and said, God, I thank you. I thank you I'm not like this guy. I thank you that I'm not wicked and a sinner like him. I thank you that I'm such a wonderful person and that I keep your word all the time. You don't want to be like that. And it starts with a proper understanding of salvation, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that He set aside His place of glory. He set aside His place of exaltation. He came off of a throne ruling over the universe and was born in a manger. He lived a life in this human flesh. He came to our broken world to serve us. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. He saved us, not because we're so lovable, but because he himself is love. That's why we are saved today. We need to understand that if it weren't for the grace of God, we would be totally lost. Totally lost. Completely dead. Completely blind without hope. And what this should do as we have been served by our God, as He has laid down our, His life for us, as we see His example of service, as we see how He was even willing to, to get down on His hands and His knees and wash His disciples' feet, He then commands His followers to go and do likewise. That just as he served humanity in humility, even in humiliation, so he has called his people to do the same. And so when we see people who are lost, when we see people who are broken, when we see people who are bound in sin, when we see people who are blind, and we just can't understand, how can they not get it? How can they not see? It's because they're blind. And they need someone to serve them. They need someone to love them. They need someone to pray for them. This is why we pray for God, to save people, to open their hearts, to open their eyes, to set them free. This is why we go before the Lord and ask him to move so that he would move because God is in control. God is sovereign over all things. You need to know and to be set free of pride and self-righteousness that lurks in all of the dark places of our lives and can even hide out in church sometimes. We have nothing to boast in except the cross. Not our own works, not our own goodness, not our own righteousness. The Bible declares all of that. His filthy rags. But he took our filthy rags upon himself on the cross so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. Not so that we could walk around and look down on others, but so that we could get down on our hands and knees and serve others and love others and sacrifice ourselves and our lives in the service of others for the sake of Christ and for his kingdom, the kingdom of God. So the Lord opens her heart to receive. She believes and is baptized and and her whole household believes in Christ and is baptized and is converted. And this is amazing. This is amazing because this missionary trip hadn't started out so well. It started out with some conflict. It started out with a fight. It started out with some division, some separation, some, some real brokenness. As they went forward, they met closed door after closed door. They they tried to move forward, but they they got nowhere. Nevertheless, they persevered in faith. They knew that God had called them. They knew that that they must go and to share the gospel. And because of their perseverance, look what God did. Look what God did in this woman's life and in her family's life. It was worth it. I would submit to you, it was worth it. Even if this is the only person that was saved in this whole town, which later we'll read, it's not. But even if it was, it was worth it. But what would have happened if they would have thrown in the towel? What would have happened if they said, this is too much, this is too difficult, this is too hard, it's not worth it. This whole family would have stayed lost. But they obeyed God. They persevered in faith. And let me tell you that there is fruitfulness on the other side of persevering. There is fruitfulness. What the enemy wants to do in your lives is to get you to quit. To get you to throw in the towel on Jesus. To get you to throw in the towel on the church. Well, I got hurt in the church and I didn't understand this. He he wants you to throw in the towel. But we must persevere in faith. And when we do, not giving in to disappointment, not succumbing to the lies of the enemy, but saying, I will trust God, I will trust his word, even if I don't always understand, it is a walk of faith. What's on the other side of perseverance is fruitfulness. And I would submit to you that there are people in your life who are watching your example of faithfulness. People in your life who need you to persevere in faith. They may even be attacking you. They may even be speaking against you. They may even be opposing you and the gospel, but we will persevere in faith, knowing that if we don't give up, there is a harvest, a harvest of righteousness, a harvest of souls. Amen. And so she twists Paul and Silas's arm and says, Look, if, if you've judged me to be faithful to Christ, you have to come and stay with me in my home. And so she opens up her home to this missionary team. And so we don't know how long they were there, but I have to imagine that this was absolutely incredible. Can you imagine having breakfast with the Apostle Paul? Like, how awesome would that be? Like, we do the little bread box in the morning, right, where we pull out the little scripture This isn't the little bread box. This is like direct download from heaven every morning over the scrambled eggs. I mean, it would just be, well, I would be very excited about it anyway. It sounds awesome to me, but I'm a Bible nerd. So moving on, as they continue to go to this place of prayer, we don't know how often they're going there. Maybe they're going there every single day. There's this woman who begins to show up. She's full of a demon spirit. She's possessed by the devil. She has this spirit of divination on her and the, she's a slave girl and her masters are using her misfortune to produce profit in their lives. She's able to somehow, through her clairvoyance or whatever, in touch with these demonic forces, she's producing for them a lot of money by telling fortunes for people. And so this slave girl filled with a demon, somehow attaches herself to Paul and Silas, and she keeps going after them saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that seems something uh, that, like, why would someone filled with the demon spirit say this? This is so strange. Does it mean that this person is a Christian? No, no, this person is not a Christian. How do I know? because well, the Bible says she's possessed by the devil. And you cannot be the possession of the devil and the possession of Christ at the same time. That's not how it works. When you're born again, when you're saved, God's spirit lives inside of you. So that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is not going to be a roommate with the devil. It doesn't work that way. When God moves in, he kicks everybody else out. Amen. What fellowship does light have with darkness? None. Zero. When you turn the lights on, the darkness has to flee. And so we know this girl is not a Christian because she has a demon spirit inside of her. Now, I will say this. You can be a Christian and be tormented by demon spirits. You can be oppressed by the devil. But you cannot be possessed by the devil. Because... You are possessed by Jesus Christ. You are covered, washed in His blood. Amen. So, she's saying this weird phrase. Why is she saying this? Well, we don't know. It's a little bit unusual. Is she saying it sarcastically, making fun of them? We can't infer that from the language there. It, It could also be that this is a temptation, a trap of the enemy to, for, for Paul and his missionary team to align with dark spiritual forces, I think that is the most likely case that that they would would just not really care about her and just say, well, at least she 's saying uh, the right stuff, so I guess she can hang out in our crew and and just attach now Christianity in this city to demonic forces and spirits and Let this infiltrate the church, and then we know what would happen. The devil would totally wreak havoc. The testimony of Christ would be ruined. It would be a disaster. I truly believe this is a trap of the enemy. Paul nevertheless recognizes that. He becomes greatly annoyed at this situation, which I just love that. I just point to that every time I'm greatly annoyed, and Heather's like, you need to chill down out. I'm like, but look, Paul was annoyed, so I can be too... And he casts the demon out in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is the name above every name. Amen. There's no authority higher than Jesus Christ. The demons have to flee. And so he casts the demon out. And this is, and then what happens is opposition arises. And this always happens. And I've shown this to you all throughout the book of Acts as we move through it together. But when the gospel advances, opposition arises. When the gospel moves forward, the devil pushes back. We just need to be aware of this. I highlight this for you again because Luke is highlighting it for us again. And I want you to know that in your own life, as you take a stand for Christ, do not be surprised if you are attacked for your faith. Do not be surprised if you are condemned. Do not be surprised if people come against you. The Bible says, though, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood that there are spiritual forces at work behind the attacks that come against us as God's people. And so we don't have to attack other people because we are not against people. We're not against anybody. As Christians, we are for everybody. Everyone. We want everyone to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Everybody needs Jesus. And, and so they beat Paul up and they throw him and Silas in jail and it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good beating, it says. They took their clothes off, beat them with rods. It doesn't tell us how many times they were hit. It just says many blows. And so I imagine that they are in pretty rough shape for doing the right thing. And we're going to pick up the story next week with Paul and Silas in jail. And it's where Elvis Presley got the, the song, Jailhouse Rock. And, and so we're going to... I'm going to pick it up there next week. It's going to be good. You don't want to miss it. But what, I, what I want to show you here as we wrap up today is, again, the fruit of perseverance. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't, don't quit. Keep pressing on. I know it can be tough. I know it can be hard. I know there are some days that you wish you could forget. I know what that's like. But we've been called by God to make a difference. We've been called by God to be salt and lights, to serve others in love, regardless of their gender, regardless of their race, regardless of their culture, regardless of, of, of their education or their upbringing. And that's what I love about these two stories back to back. You have this very wealthy, well-to-do woman, the upper echelons of society, running in the highest circles, selling her stuff, you know, cl- you know clothing the stars. She would be on, on r- runways and, and red carpet premieres. This is where this lady would be found. And then you have this slave girl filled with a demon The total opposite end of the spectrum in every regard, socially, financially, economically, spiritually. Yet the gospel is powerful in both of their lives because everybody needs the gospel, because everybody needs Jesus. And when we get to the end of this chapter, what we see is that the home of Lydia has been opened up now and is being used as as the place, the gathering place for God's people and so Lydia is now welcoming in all of these different people from all different walks of life. And they're coming together and they're coming to worship their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's Jesus who, who, who tears down the, the, the separation between us as people. It's Jesus because in, in Christ we are neither slave nor free. We're neither male nor female. We're neither Jew nor Gentile. In Christ we are one. One. So the divisions of our culture, the divisions of our society, the divisions that exist in our world only exist out there. They don't exist in here. Because when we come into the church, we come in as brothers and sisters, family. God has made us one. God has made us family. God has torn down the walls of division. It says Jesus in his body tore down the walls of division in his body On the cross. One of the ways we commemorate this every time we do it is when we come and take the Lord's Supper. We haven't been doing it this way during the pandemic because of germs, but typically we all come to the same place, showing that we're all part of the same body. That's why I don't like putting those little things out because we don't get to come together in, in that way. Nevertheless, one day we'll be able to do communion normally again. But even though we can't do it that way, we're still one. We're still family. We're still family. And what the world needs is more people to be brought into the family of God. What the world needs is more people to be set free from the power of the enemy, set free from the bondages of Satan, The darkness pushed out, the light brought in. And how does that happen? It happens as God's people love and serve the world the way that Jesus did. You will not win anybody to Christ arguing about politics. It will not happen. But if you can love and serve people as Christ has loved and served us, laying aside your differences so that you can share the only message that has power, the gospel. God will open people's hearts. God will open people's eyes. God will open people's ears. And there will be a great harvest on the other side of persevering. I invite you to stand with me today. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. We're going to sing one more song together. Father, we thank you for your word Lord, that shows us so clearly so many different things. Lord, I know that in this text today, there's a lot of different aspects to what's going on here. And I know that because your word is alive and and is active, Lord, that you've been speaking to all of our hearts today. Lord, forgive us for being prejudiced against other people, for letting our upbringing or our culture limit your work in our lives. God, forgive us for not sharing the gospel with other people who aren't like us. Lord, let us learn from the example of Paul as he laid aside the baggage of the past to move forward into the future that you had called him to be. And Lord, the fruit that came, people set free, whole families turning to you. Lord, that's what we're believing for. That's what we're hoping for. God, we know your word teaches so clearly that this world is passing away. So, Lord, we do not fight the battles of this world. Lord, you've called us to to fight the spiritual battles. Lord, the battles for people's hearts and for people's minds. Lord, to be turned to faith in Christ in you as we share the gospel message. The only message that saves. The only message that produces a new heart, a new life. Lord, help us to see who we are in light of the gospel. Lord, help us to live every single day with a heart of gratitude because you have opened up our hearts, because you have opened up our ears, because you have opened up our eyes, because you have drawn us into a relationship with yourself. But Lord, being a part of your family, it comes with a responsibility. Help us, God to live as your people, to live as salt and to live as light, never losing sight of who you have called us to be, that you would be glorified in our lives and in our world and in our country. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.